This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Give us a follow if you can. And uh, welcome to our late night national town hall conversation. Our phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, President Trump, as we speak, is campaigning in Iowa for re-election for the uh, competition in the Republican primary. We're going to bring you a couple of clips from that momentarily. But uh, other news, right? We've got a bunch of news. Russia is accusing Poland of uh, some malfeasance. We're going to get to that in a little bit as well. Uh, we also have more aid for Ukraine. Yep. Uh, we've got now the, let's see here, the approval of $1.3 billion to Ukraine. This has uh, been approved by the Biden administration. And again, listen, I'm I'm a defender of Ukraine, right? I'm not that guy that's going to say, listen, we should be feeding our, our homeless vets and taking them off the street and we, we shouldn't be helping Ukraine. Let's spend that money in the U.S. That's not me, right? It's not me. I, feel, I think there's a very myopic view. Doesn't mean I don't think we should help homeless vets. Just means one thing has nothing to do with the other, right? These are These are false equivalencies designed to make you feel a certain type of way, but it's not accurate. Right. Even if it, if in some theory somewhere it's accurate, it's, it's just not an accurate depiction. Right. It's like saying, you know, we keep spending money on prisons, but we won't spend money on, you know, free college. Again, another false equivalency. It's not the same thing. It doesn't even work that way. But I will say we do got to check uh, what we're doing. Right. We can't just send money hand over fist to Ukraine. We've, we've got to be very clear in what we're doing and why we're helping and how. And I think weapons, very important. Uh, cash, we shouldn't send any. And that's the bottom line. And we should be playing for, for keeps here to actually try to win. So we're going to continue that conversation a little bit. Um, but very interesting. They're also saying that James Comer uh, is now a Russian agent. I mean, it's the narrative never changes with our friends on the left. It's always the same story. I mean, and it's, I mean, I guess they look at us and they say the same thing, right? If you're a conservative, when I say us, I mean, uh, those that are, um, right of center. And they probably look at us and think, ah, oh, these guys, same thing. It's always the same thing. Smaller government, you know, less taxes, blah, blah. They, they probably are tired of our story considering we don't ever get it done. Right. When do we ever reduce the size of government on the conservative side? When do we ever, um, you know, we had the Bush tax cuts, we had the Trump tax cuts, but even if you get a tax cut, 
if you're fortunate enough to get a tax cut approved, uh, you know, even though they sunset it in a couple of years, they're always going to come back with the same line, right? What line is that? Tax cuts for the rich, right? It's always tax cuts for the rich. It's not uh, anything but tax cuts for the rich, right? It's always tax cuts for the rich. And, um, you know, uh, the poor don't get a damn thing. And no matter what, there's always going to be criticism. But in reality, that, that is uh, the same story, right? It's the same story with, with, with the left uh, saying that James Comey is, uh, James Comer, excuse me, is a uh, Russian agent. So I want to get into that in a little bit with, with a former uh, member of former, I guess, uh, citizen of the Soviet Union and a former intelligence person. Uh, we'll do that in a little bit. But I also want to get into this, right? President Trump announcing on True Social that he received a letter stating that he's now the target of the January 6th investigation. Now, again, people who have been a critic of of uh, Trump's will, will often cite this as, come on, he knew what he was doing. He knew he was sicking the dogs on them. I don't believe that to be the case. But again, what, what I believe doesn't really matter, right? I mean, they've got uh, hours and hours and hours of tape uh, where they're, you're, you know, He's on tape and they'll cut it out, especially like they did during those hearings where he says peacefully and patriotically march to the Capitol. Let your voices be heard. They, they won't play any of that. Of course, they'll just um, pick and choose and splice and dice. Uh, and as they like to call it, um, selectively edit, which I think is funny because all editing is selective, right? You're editing to select portions of it that you're not going to play so that you can play the portion you do want to play. It's the whole point of editing, right? To, to shorten something. And you select things. But I think the better term would be deceptively edited. And I think that's what they did. They deceptively edited the audio to make it look like he was saying something and and when he was actually in context saying something else. And it's unfortunate, but that's what's going on. And again, he um, announced that he received a letter on July 17th informing him that he's a target of the special counsel investigation uh, into the Capitol breach. Trump said the uh, letter that he got on Sunday from or Monday, rather, from special counsel Jack Smith uh, gave him four days to report to a grand jury in a message on Truth Social from July 18th, which is today. He says that it's a short deadline and it means that he may be arrested and indicted. Now, we've seen this before where. Um, you know, he was in effect processed. There weren't any handcuffs. Um, I think that when there was no cameras around, he was fingerprinted with the New York uh, case. And we should expect this to happen at least one more time. But overall, and as many um, constitutional scholars, experts, former Department of Justice officials uh, like Mark Levin, the great one, uh, have pointed out, as, as well as Trump himself, this is literally the Department of Justice interfering in the election because they, they had time to prosecute this case before he announced last November, and they didn't. And they can also use the longstanding rule that they have of not investigating political candidates, which they're not doing. And I find it interesting because I think it's, you know, they, they throw out the rule book, the norms, whatever courtesy, whatever and what have you. Uh, the way they've always done business Robert's Rules of Orders, if you will, um, of order. They they throw this book out the window when it comes to Trump solely to try to trip him up. And I think it's amazing. 
I really do think it's amazing that he does as well as he does, not only with the Republican base, but some some new polling that's coming out of Iowa, showing him um, with independence uh, picking up a little bit. I think that's really good. It's it's a good thing for him and for his campaign, because I think people have realized, you know what? I can deal with the bravado. I can deal with the hubris. I can deal with the ego. I can deal with his bouffant, with the with the uh, with the awesome uh, pompadour type of hairstyle with the blonde hair, right? Everybody wants to pick on him. For, I can deal with the mean tweets. I can deal with his suntan. All the things that to me are irrelevant, right? Irrelevant. None of that stuff matters. What matters is how good things were. And again, I'm not saying this is a, a utopian, dystopian argument that, you know, America was some sort of um, bastion of, of liberty and, and, and puppies and, and golden streets when Trump was president. But it was a heck of a lot better than it is now. And we had probably the most solid economy I'd seen in a very long time and probably the biggest growth economically that I'd ever seen, period, in in the 45 years that I've been around. So one has to ask themselves the question that, you know, are you willing to stomach all that to get Trump back? But what I ask is, why is it that we see what we see, right? And lamentably, we're seeing the... uh, the left, his enemies, his political adversaries, and all of those people coming after him. I want to play the one that make America great again. And Trump was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa tonight. He's still there, actually. Uh, but we have a quick clip of that uh, before we bring our guest in. And we're going to have an excellent conversation. But I want you to hear Trump addressing the crowd. Listen to this. What's happening to our country whether it's the borders or the elections or kinds of things like this, where the DOJ has become a weapon for the Democrats, an absolute weapon. And it seems that every time my polls, you know, we're leading by a lot. And we're leading by a lot in a place called Iowa, a lot. And and not only with the Republicans, but we're leading against Biden by a tremendous amount. They haven't seen anything like it. And they feel, I guess, they want to try and demean and diminish and, and uh, frighten people, but they don't frighten us because uh, we're going to make America great again. That's all there is. We're going to make, our, our make America great again. And that's it. Look at the crowd going wild. Uh, and, and, and that's really the reports. If you look at Twitter, everybody's talking about how thunderous the applause are. And listen, I know everybody wants to say, look, applause, filled stadiums, none of that stuff, just because he's a popular figure. None of that wins elections. That is a true statement. But the bigger question is, find me another politician that's filling up stadiums. That is the question I have for you. So sit on that for a second. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our conversation into, is James Comer a Russian agent? Of course not. But we're going to get into why they're uh, uh, alleging that. Plus, Biden's authorized more aid to Ukraine. Oh, boy. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back. And I am Rich Valdez. So listen, let me tell you a story. The other day, uh, and this is a true story, happened not too long ago. 
I was having a meeting with um, a former deputy special envoy from the United States State Department and uh, the head of um, Case Pack, and we were at uh, the bar in uh, Trump Tower. And I looked over to my right, and I saw a dog sitting at the bar, looked like it was having a martini. Now, listen, I was not drunk. <laughs> there really was a dog there, and I thought it was the cutest thing, and I wanted to go take a picture of it. And as I'm over there asking, you know, hey, can I take a picture with the dog? Uh, the deputy special envoy says, oh, my gosh, I know this woman. I was on television with her recently. It's Rebecca Kaufler. She's a strategic military intelligence analyst, former uh, defense intelligence agency intelligence officer, and she's the author of Putin's Playbook. And uh, we met, and I said, I've got to have you on the show so we could talk about things. And I figured, what better than to talk about these allegations against James Comer, saying he is a Russian agent than someone that was born in the Soviet Union and worked in intelligence here in the United States. Rebecca Koffler, welcome. Thank you very much, Richard. Such a delight to be here with you and your audience. Oh, thank you. Likewise. And... I I I was listening to to the news and I heard the stories about Koffler and um, Comer is making allegations against Biden, saying that he's he owns over 20 shell companies or did in order to hide payments and and um, wash the money trail uh, with these payments that he'd gotten with Hunter. And and then, you know, it, it comes as no surprise that all of a sudden they say that Comer is a Russian agent. What do you think about that? Well, here we go again. It's uh, it's uh, the typical uh, disinformation that uh, the Washington establishment and the mainstream media are waging. Remember the proverbial uh, collusion, the hoax that never happened. It's basically a, a tool that um, our Washington establishment uses to demonize their opponents. It's, it's effectively the same thing that Putin does. They're using Putin's playbook uh, to demonize their opponents, to silence them, and to basically flip the truth on its head. Yeah, and it's a shame. It's a shame that, that that's what's happening. But it seems to be that's that's the, the same narrative. It doesn't seem to change. They go over uh they, they use it time and time again, and, and I guess it works for them because they don't they don't try anything new. Now, Rebecca Koffler, um, I'm curious here because, I mean, you've worked in in the intelligence world uh, as part of your career and and, you know, the Soviet Union and communism firsthand um, from what you've observed. And obviously, as as the author of Putin's playbook, how much of what you saw, I guess, um, in the Soviet Union and the way that they operate, how much of that do you see in the way things are unfolding now? Would you say it's a fair comparison or is it miles apart, nothing like it? Well, I'm afraid to say, uh, Rich, that uh, it's looking to me that the FBI has turned effectively into the KGB. Um, basically what's going on with the intelligence community. And as you correctly pointed out, I, I served in the U.S. intelligence community, both DIA, um, which is the um, Defense Intelligence Agency. Um, it's a military counterpart to the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency. But uh, basically uh, we were collaborating with uh, all of the 18 agencies and the upper echelons are 
so highly corrupt right now that they're effectively acting as the KGB. What do I mean by that? The mission of the intelligence community is to protect all Americans from external threats. But despite the fact that there are many very honorable intelligence officers or security personnel, the top echelons have changed that mission and they have taken it upon themselves to basically serve as uh, the protectorate of the regime. Just like KGB back in the USSR, they were uh, preoccupied with the survivability of the Soviet regime, the Politburo, right? And so we see the same thing. They are silencing domestic voices. They are silencing alternative analytic minds um, that disagree with their disinformation. You know, remember the whole Trump-Russia uh, hoax that they perpetrated on the American people? Yeah, he was the first uh, Russian agent. Exactly, exactly. And the whole steel dossier, any rationally minded person who's, who read those reports would know that it is a complete, you know, uh, BS, pardon my uh, technical term here. Mm-hmm. But they managed to convince half of the American population that it was true. And so this is the gift that keeps on giving that unfortunately um, they used Putin's playbook and the American people were hit from both sides, both by, you know, Putin targeting U.S. elections and by domestic KGB-like intelligence operatives. And this is a tragedy for the American people that we are in this situation right now. Unbelievable. Folks, let me just remind you, we're on with uh, Rebecca Koffler. She's a strategic military intelligence analyst, former intelligence officer with the Defense Intelligence Agency. She's the author of Putin's Playbook. And uh, we're having a discussion on all things uh, related to the current allegations on James Comer being a Russian agent. And uh, when we come back, I want to get into why Biden continues to approve. I'm not saying we should leave Ukraine high and dry, but I am saying we've got to be very careful in how we're giving money to Ukraine. I think another $1.3 trillion was just authorized. So I want to get her take on that and really on on the law of the land overall in Ukraine. Because I feel like we got to get to a resolution and I don't feel like we're getting to a resolution in any way. So Rebecca Koffler, stick with us. We're coming right back. America, if you want to join the conversation, you have a question for Rebecca, give us a call. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number or at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez and we're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. 
Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And our guest is Rebecca Koffler. She's the author of Putin's Playbook and a former analyst, uh, excuse me, intelligence officer with the Defense Intelligence Agency. Uh, you've seen her on television, and she's just terrific in her an analysis on what's going on in the, the world of intelligence and international affairs. And I want to switch gears a little bit and discuss the um, news today that Biden has approved, um, let's see, $1.3 billion. Excuse me, I thought it was trillion. I made him a typo. Uh, another uh, $1.3 billion uh, to Ukraine. And this is a uh, military aid for Kiev. Kiev, excuse me, in its conflict with uh, Russia. And I guess my concern here is I think we, we sent them cluster bombs the other day. I think it's, it's a lot better when you're identifying what type of weaponry you're sending, especially if you're sending things with that where they can defend themselves. Right. You know, Trump got impeached for for sending uh, weapons over there that were adequate for them to defend themselves. Uh, it seems every time we get an announcement from the Biden administration, we get the cash equivalent of this aid. And I think it's concerning to many people because they're saying, look, uh, you know, send them all the money in the world. It's not going to help them unless we send them the right stuff and the right um, equipment and whatnot. So, Rebecca Koffler, uh, help us understand your take on what's going on with this ongoing uh, saga between Russia and Ukraine. Well, this is just a typical um, idiotic move by the Biden administration. Uh which is preoccupied with uh, foreign wars and is ignoring uh, internal and external threats that are directly targeting our country. Here's what I mean by that. Um, the war in Ukraine is not going to, um, to be won with weaponry, right? Weapons don't win wars. Strategy does. We learned that uh, in Afghanistan, when after 20 years and $2.2 trillion that we pumped into that war, uh, 6,000 American lives were sacrificed and we had to withdraw. And the same murderous regime, the Taliban, reclaimed power. Okay? So it isn't comprehensible that Biden is turning Ukraine into another Afghanistan. No amount of weaponry is going to... Um, ensure that Ukraine wins this war. This is why um, the disparity of forces is such that um, Putin 
in Russia hold such a decisive advantage. The type of strategy that Putin is using is called attrition. Uh, both sides are now hemorrhaging manpower. After 500 days, we, we just crossed the 500-day mark, right? Neither side is actually any closer to the decisive military victory than they were um, 17 months ago. But because Russian population is triple that of Ukraine, or more than triple, the Russians have 143 million people and Ukrainians have 43. And so Putin has so much more flesh to throw into the meat grinder that the mm -hmm. Biden administration will have to fight until the last Ukrainian. And he's effectively leading Ukraine to destruction by Putin. So at this point, it doesn't really matter. You know, uh, the American people are generous. But where does this end, right? How many billions are we going to pump in for the Biden administration to realize that it's not going to bring victory? He's just perpetuating further destruction of the Ukrainian people. Well, it's a terrible take, but a, uh, an interesting one and, uh, and a sad one. So now I agree with you that it, we shouldn't prolong this and the, the way to win this, in my opinion, and, and you weigh in uh, with your expertise. But I've always felt that the American president, whomever it is, should use the power of the Oval Office and the fact that he's the American president to go in there and kind of say, look, knock it off. This has to end and and use whatever leverage the United States has on both countries to say, look, I'm going to get this to end by doing X, Y, and Z with you and X, Y, and Z with you and getting them to the table to say, look, this is ha has to end. What do we got to do to make a deal? Why do you feel that Biden isn't doing that? Or am I wrong in that, in that thought? You, you're correct. Biden absolutely is not doing that. And uh, it beats me. It seems to me that he is not interested in peace at all. And one of the reasons I think he's not interested in peace is that the war machine is turning out tremendous profits, you know, both for the Pentagon uh, that is filled with people who uh, used to sit on boards of uh, various industrial complex uh, companies, um, and uh, their stocks are rising exponentially right now. Um, when we go to, you know, to, to, to pump gas at the, at the pump or to buy food in the grocery mm -hmm. store, we've seen the prices uh, double and in some cases triple, right? Well, but if you look at what's going on with Lockheed Martin, there's a uh, large article today in the Wall Street Journal. Lockheed Martin projects higher sales as war boosts orders. Their stock is through the roof. They're getting more and more um, profits. And I think that is part of the reason why Biden is, uh, is doing this. But I agree with you. We have tremendous leverage over Zelensky. They like to say how it's up to Zelensky to um, to decide when he's going to uh, agree to stop the war. But no, we have provided to Ukraine or committed to provide uh, $200 billion at this point, which is an equivalent of Ukraine's 
entire gross domestic product for 2021, which was 196, right? We have tremendous leverage over them. And yes, this war is absolutely brutal, but it's not going to end just because we continue to pump in more counter-drone systems, more uh, javelins, more uh, stingers, more 155 ammo that, by the way, we are depleting our own combat arsenal right now. Mm. And this is the actual, you know, uh, problem because we have China right now that is getting ready to invade Taiwan. My assessment is in the next couple of years. And uh, as you know, I predicted this war in my book, Putin's Playbook, the uh, uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. So I'm right now looking, uh, forecasting, that's my intelligence analysis, that that is what China is getting ready to do. And we are basically out of munitions. This is the result of the incompetence of uh, Team Biden and their absolutely foolish foreign policy. Unbelievable. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, I, I, we heard, I think we had a clip of it somewhere, Admiral Kirby saying that the reason that um, the um, munitions are depleted uh, was because of the Trump administration. And I'm thinking, Trump didn't go to war with anybody. <laughs> How could it be his fault? But they magically find a way to blame him. Oh, exactly. No, not only Trump didn't go to war with anybody, on Trump's watch, Putin didn't invade anyone. And here's why. I actually have uh, a piece published about a month ago in The Federalist. Um, there's only one U.S. leader that Putin fears, and that leader is President Trump. Uh, the reason is Putin is not afraid of words, right? Uh, and Trump never called him like Putin is a warmonger, he's a criminal, this and that. But Putin is afraid of action. And President Trump did five things that struck at the heart of Putin's um, strategy. So I'll, I'll just quickly name them. Uh, sure. President Trump authorized. Actually, you know what? Uh, Let's thing- pause right here. We'll come back and we'll talk about those five things. This way we're not rushed. Folks, we're on with Rebecca Koffler. She's the author of Putin's Playbook. Make sure you check out wherever you buy books and buy two copies, one for yourself to read this summer and one to give to a friend so they can catch up on what's going on. Plus, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the book itself. Rebecca Koffler is our guest, former uh, Defense Intelligence Agency intelligence officer and the author of Putin's Playbook. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night. With Rich Valdez. All right, folks, welcome back. Our guest is Rebecca Kuffler, author of Putin's Playbook, and she's a former uh, Defense Intelligence Agency intelligence officer. Rebecca Kuffler, we left off with you telling us five things that former President Trump did that really set the tone with Vladimir Putin. Exactly. So, um, just to uh, help understand how Putin uh, thinks and acts. 
act, right? The strategy that Putin uh, developed targets the United States deterring us from intervening in Ukraine or a similar country on uh, Russia's periphery that Russia wants to dominate, right? Why is Joe Biden not deploying forces into Ukraine, despite the fact that Russia has committed uh, unconscionable atrocities there? It's because Biden is afraid. He's afraid of Putin uh, using nuclear weapons, justifiably so, right? So Trump understood what... Putin's strategy was, and he did the following uh, five things. He established the Space Force, an entirely different branch of military service. He also authorized offensive cyber operations against Russia and other U.S. adversaries, and I explain why he did all of those things. Uh, he also uh, authorized a military strike uh, on Syria that killed approximately 300 Russian fighters from the Wagner Group, right? Fourth, he, Trump, and that is a very important one. President Trump uh, understood Putin's escalate to de-escalate nuclear strategy, according to which Putin would detonate a low-yield uh, tactical nuclear warhead on the battlefield, such as Ukraine, to deter U.S. from interfering. And finally, uh, Trump also kicked out the so-called uh, Kaspersky antivirus software that the U.S. government, in its infinite wisdom, <laughs> deployed on government uh, and military uh, systems. That was basically a Russian intelligence collection tool. Okay, why did President Trump do all these things? The Space Force targets Putin's space warfare doctrine that the Russians developed in order to target our satellites because they understand that every aspect of our warfighting capability, uh, command and control, targeting, precision strike, missile warning is dependent on satellites. And so if the Russians perceive that we are about to jump into the fight, they would target our satellites unleashing space Armageddon. So Trump deployed our, or stood up rather, our space force to target Russian satellites, and that was a deterrent. And those other four things that I just articulated directly targeted Putin's strategy. And that's why Putin understood that Trump is not to be messed with because he directly uh, understood and directly targeted uh, Putin's strategy with our counter strategy. Unfortunately, when Biden came to office, he canceled the very program um, that Trump authorized that um, gave or granted permission to our uh, forces to have the exact um, tactical nuclear warhead capability, the nuclear-tipped cruise missile, sea launched. So Biden went ahead and canceled that, and that was the very thing that is now preventing Biden from acting more forcefully against Russia. Sounds like a brilliant deterrent to me. Now, I, I didn't want to end our conversation without you telling us a little bit more about the book, uh, Putin's playbook, Russia's secret plan to defeat America. Tell us about it. 
Sure. Well, I, I wrote this book after I left the intelligence community, um, uh, where, by the way, I warned for years about Putin's plans. I described what uh, Russian strategy was going to be about. I briefed scores and scores of Obama's uh, senior Pentagon officials, um, the White House, National Security Council, Congress, and NATO itself, including in the run-up to Putin's invasion of Crimea. But no one wanted to do anything about it. And even right. to this day, the Europeans and NATO, only eight countries out of 30, pay even 2% of their GDP. So I went ahead and uh, I wrote this book, which is effectively an unclassified version of uh, Putin's multi-pronged strategy. And so everything that we see right now in this war, you can track back to Putin's doctrine and strategy, which was developed because the Russians assessed about a decade ago that a war between Russia and the United States is inevitable because they have been tracking what uh, our weapons programs are and what we are trying to do. And they have decided that we're trying to peel off Ukraine and other, you know, uh, former Soviet countries such as Georgia away from Russia and adopt them into NATO, which is an adversarial alliance. And this is exactly why Putin attacked Ukraine. It's to prevent uh, Russia uh, from or Ukraine, rather, uh, from being a part of NATO and being so close to Russia within the striking distance. That is the ultimate um, uh, sort of promise of my, of my book. And uh, anybody who is interested, I'm happy to um, uh, send my signature plate. If you want to buy your own copy, I will uh, mail like my autographs with a special message. Oh, that's wonderful. Very rare to get a nice uh, signed book plate by the author. Uh, so take advantage of that offer, folks. Uh, check out Rebecca Koffler. And uh, Rebecca, where do they go to contact you? Do you want them to follow you on Twitter or maybe go to your website? Let them know. I'm, I'm everywhere on social media. I'm on uh, Twitter, Getter, and of course, uh, Truth Social. And in fact, President Trump himself retruthed my piece that I mentioned uh, on The Federalist. There's only one U.S. leader Putin actually fears. So uh, he's reading my stuff, too, I'm proud to say. Well, I want to thank you for being with us tonight, folks. Rebecca Koffler, uh, ex-intelligence officer and author of Putin's Playbook. Continue the great work. Godspeed to you. Thank you, and God bless you too, Rich. All right. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more when we return. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So a few things I wanted to talk about, but with seconds to go before the bottom of the hour and the music comes and they kick me out, there's not much I can get into. But George and Alexander Soros, uh, the dynamic duro, duro, <laughs> duo, uh, have maxed out their donations to Biden's reelection committee. And listen, there hasn't been a lot of news on this, but I want to be one of the first, second or third to tell you. 
that Biden is raking in a bunch of money. I think he's got something like 20 million bucks in this first quarter uh, or second quarter, rather. So um, stand by for Joe El Baboso Biden. Listen, and I've said it and I'm no fan of Biden's, but if he can like dump another million barrels of of strategic petroleum reserve and bring down the price of gas by a quarter or 50 cents, if he can say that we now had eight, nine, ten months in a row of decreased inflation and try to make the case that things are looking better in the war on Ukraine and, and Russia, he can try to position himself for a win because not everybody pays attention like we do. So we've got to work extra hard. Anyway, coming up, the squad has been added, plus their friend, she's making some noise and it's anti-Semitic. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. I'm Rich Valdez. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it's my pleasure to be with you this Tuesday evening. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And yesterday, President Biden mumbled his way through a meeting with uh, Israeli President Isaac Herzog, and uh, I've got a clip of audio from that. Listen to this. And we brought Israelis and Palestinians together at a political level, and the uh, and uh, at the uh, and Aqua and as well as Shram. Yes. And uh, as I uh, affirmed to Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday, America's commitment to Israel is firm. I got hairy legs. You ain't black. I mean, this is absolute insanity. What's going on? And of course, on the heels of that meeting, then you have um, Pramila Jayapal, right? Jayapal and her other friends in the squad start mouthing off, making these uh, anti-Jewish comments. Listen to Pramila Jayapal. Can I say something as somebody that's been in the streets and, and has participated in a lot of demonstrations? I think I want you to know that we have been fighting to make it clear that Israel is a racist state, that the Palestinian people deserve self-determination and autonomy, that the dream, that the dream of a two-state solution is slipping away but from she's us. Totally that it is not that it- she totally calls Israel a racist state. And she goes on and on. There's more to that, but that was the the meat and potatoes of it, right? I mean, if you're calling Israel a racist state, who t- raise your hand if you love racists or racism, right? Nobody's raising their hand because everybody hates it. It's a bad thing, right? Uh, I can't think of another way to put it more plainly, but that's that's where she lands on this. And I think this is unfortunate, right? It's unfortunate that nobody seems to call her out. Now, there's a lot of people calling her out. 
Uh, but but when I say nobody, I mean the Democrats. Now, Corrine Jean-Pierre, she's asked today by uh, Fox News' Jackie Heinrich what she um, does. The White House condemn the anti-Semitism that Jayapal was espousing in those comments. But Corrine Jean-Pierre just basically says we'll condemn the anti-Semitism, I guess, but uh, not uh, Representative Jayapal. Listen to this. We have been uh, we've been clear on our record. We've been clear on speaking against anti-Semitism uh, throughout throughout this administration when we see it. So the White House does condemn that comment. I mean, I just said if it is uh, if any time anti-Jewish hatred is uh, is said, that is anti-Semitism, and we and we find it to be unacceptable. But at the same time, we think it's important. Uh, that uh, the Congresswoman did indeed uh, 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 apologize for her comments, and we're glad to see it. Didn't hear whether it was a yes or a no to that question. <laughs> Great job with the follow-up there, Jackie Heinrich. And yeah, the question was, do you condemn it? And of course, another um, obfuscation from the White House. I want to get uh, some commentary on this because... This is, again, yet another example of not just the Democrats, but this particular White House uh, seemingly or tacitly endorsing anti-Semitism. I want to bring in Brian Live. You guys know him. He's been on the program many times. And uh, Brian is the head of Case Pack Political Action Committee. Brian, what say you on this whole debacle? Rich, good evening, and, and hi to your audience. It's so good to be back on. Uh, let me let me let me just come in and say this: uh, there has been quite a bit happening in the last seventy-two hours when it comes to the state of Israel, when it comes to the Jewish community here in America, uh, and a lot of it is coming on the heels of uh, Israeli uh, President uh, Isaac Herzog's visit here uh, to the United States of America. Uh, the comments that Jayapal, Jayapal, whatever you want to call her name is, whatever she said over the weekend uh, was a direct shot across the bow of the Jewish community and also the state of Israel. Um, and there has been, Rich, as you mentioned, a lot of people that are speaking out to condemn this. Um, but as you heard with uh, the White House press secretary, she fumbled through uh, finding the courage to be able to actually, uh, with a full-throated response, condemn this. But the one person who hasn't said a single word about any of this, Rich, is President Joe Biden. Um, he hasn't said a single word about any of these comments. He has, on the other hand, though, called uh, Benjamin and Yahoo's government extreme and racist. Uh, but yet, um, you know, he, 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 he won't condemn the Islamic Republic of Iran, who's killed over 300 of their own citizens this year. So there's a lot of hypocrisy coming from the Biden administration, coming from Democrats, and, um, you know, comments uh, like this being made that Israel's a racist state is just so, so counterproductive and, um, and really, really not advancing really any interest here other than dividing the Jewish community and also driving a wedge into the U.S.-Israel alliance. You know, and again, this isn't the first time we've seen this, but it, it seems like it happens time and again. How do we, how do we, I guess, how do you look at this? I mean, I know how I see it. I think they're full of crap. And every time they get caught, they kind of backtrack a little bit. And they're like, yeah, right. no, nah, we weren't doing that. It wasn't really anti-Semitism. Oh, did I, did I mention I apologize? Okay, no problem. You know, so that they can kind of get away with it as much as they can. Um, but from your perspective, and I guess the reaction you're getting from your community, from your constituents, um, what is that um, looking like? 
Well, you're exactly correct in, in that, you know, this is uh, this is not the first time uh, we've heard comments like this uh, from uh, people, you know, on, on, on the left. I mean, whether it's the Ilhan Omars and Rashida Tlaibs and Corey Bush's and Jamal Bowman's, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It seems like they just take turns, right? They get together on a Monday morning and strategize who's going to say what on a Tuesday, who's going to say what on a Friday. Um, but uh, listen, at the end of the day, these people certainly are on a mission to uh, to try and drive a wedge in between our community, um, and it's shameful. It's it's really shameful, and and really has no place, you know, in in America. And um, I will say this much, Rich: for the first time ever, I saw a lot of Democrats grow a spine um, and um, really forcefully come out and condemn this. Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, that is a sign of uh, maybe what the future will hold. Um, and maybe Democrats will finally start calling this out from within their own ranks. Uh, but with that said, it's going to start with the leader of the party and the leader of the party is the president of the United States. And if Joe Biden can't find it, uh, well, he's rummaging through note cards uh, during his speeches. Uh, if he can't find the courage to speak out um, with strength on this issue, um, then I think the, I think Democrats are, will continue to get away uh, with this uh, with this anti-Semitism, unfortunately, Rich. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the things and we've had this conversation privately, but I'll, I'll bring it up publicly, is I feel like anti-Semitism has really been institutionalized and normalized by not only by the media, but by certain politicians and even like political movements. Like it seems like in order to be a full throated progressive today. You have to believe that Israel is an apartheid state and that there there's an occupation in Israel and, and there's no other way about it that, you know, the Jews are the bad guy. And, and I just find this to, to be like, why, why is it that I can differ with some of the, the biggest voices in the conservative movement when it comes to Ukraine and think I think we do owe uh, Ukraine protection because of the Budapest Memorandum of Understanding and. And why is it that I feel like we, you know, we could do a repeat of World War II and, and still have my own voice? Yet, you know, there's others out there that, that think, you know, no, no, Putin's the best way to go. And I feel like mm. there's so much diversity of thought on that topic and other topics uh, on uh, uh, from right of center. Yet we don't see much diversity at all when it comes to Israel, uh, anti-Semitism and those on the progressive left. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh you bring that point up and 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 uh after her comments, you know, she she put out a statement that said I misspoke. I didn't mean to say what I said. And um and sure enough right on cue, there are so many left-leaning and progressive groups that have that have started providing her with cover. And oh, we appreciate her walk back and we know she didn't mean what she said. Uh, but I got to tell you where this really cuts deep uh, for myself and I think for a lot of the Jewish community is when you see Jewish groups on the left that start providing her with that cover. Um, and there's, uh, there's, a, there's a, a very, very left-leaning progressive group, uh, Jewish group called J Street, um, who has supported, supported uh, Pramila J. Paul in the past and other very radical members of Congress. They actually came out with a statement today, Rich, and they said, we're so happy she clarified her position. And uh, it was just a little dust up. And, you know, people should stop attacking her as a woman of color. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You, you, you're, 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 you know, this but this is this is their play card. Right. Or, or this is their just the, their playbook. You know, when when they get called out and called on the carpet, you know, for 
um, for anti-Semitism, for racism, for bigotry, for hatred, they automatically default to, well, hey, I'm a person of color. Why are you stifling my voice? No one is stifling your voice. Um, because you happen to be a certain color or certain sex or religion. No, you know, Jews don't have that luxury, Rich. We're, we're a minority in this country. We don't have the luxury of picking and choosing, you know, who we speak out against. And uh, But it, it really cuts deep when you have some of these Jewish groups on the left that start lining up behind these people um, and supporting them. It really makes you scratch your head. It's, uh, it's difficult, just I'm being, yeah. being honest with you. Oh, 100%. I get it. Folks, we're on with Brian Leib. He's uh, the head of Case Pack. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about um, this topic. And I, I want to get into a couple of other issues uh, with respect to global affairs and Israel uh, at, being at the center of that. Folks, don't go anywhere. Rich Valdez, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. We definitely need people who know what it's like to experience occupation. Whether it is in Ukraine or Palestinian people who have now experienced occupation and displacement for 75 years. All right, of course, that's uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, uh, better known to many as the congresswoman that referred to the 9-11 attacks as some people did something. And uh, she's there talking about, you know, the Palestinians and the Israeli occupation. And and again, look, uh, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, right? I just I think it's not helpful, but she has her position and that's where she is. Uh, but she, that was yesterday. Today. You've got AOC saying, look, I am not going to be attending any address by President Herzog because I'm just uh, I'm just not. Listen to this. Will you attend this address tomorrow? I will not be attending. There's currently a crisis of democracy and apartheid. Um, and I think that this is something that has been a consensus among human rights organizations. So there we have uh, AOC, who I like to call my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, AOC, all out crazy. And and it's it, to me, it's troubling, right? It's troubling that they've normalized this anti-Semitism, that they've normalized this political position. But it's their right. It's part of our political discourse. And that's why I bring on experts like Brian Leib, uh, who's the head of Case Pack, to address these issues head on. Brian Leib, what say you to Ilhan Omar and AOC all out crazy? Well, first of all, I, I love that all out crazy. She is a special kind of crazy, a special kind of stupid, if I might say. But uh, that's just my personal opinion. Um, you know, listen, if I know Omar, you know, she knows what her talking points are and whether she's talking about a quote unquote occupation or whether she's talking about apartheid. Um, it's, it's all based on lies. It's all based on raw emotions. It's not based on facts. There is no occupation happening in Israel right now. Um, certainly there are checkpoints throughout Israel because there's this thing, there are these things called terrorists and terrorist groups um, that, that the Palestinian Authority lets roam freely throughout, throughout their, their area. 
Um, so yes, there are checkpoints, and that is to, to, to make everyone safe, not just the Israeli people. Um, Ilhan Omar will say that you know uh, Israel is a is an apartheid nation. Well, you know, it's it's uh, a nation of less than 10 million people, and 20% of their population is actually Arab and have full full voting rights, same as any Jew or Christian, any other Israeli has. Uh, you have Israeli Arabs that are serving in the Knesset, which is Israel's government. You have Israeli Arabs that are that are that are running billion dollar businesses, serving in the IDF, doctors, nurses, and hospitals. I mean, there's no oversight; it's all lies. Um, but listen, this is this is their talking points. This is the this is uh, you know how they uh, build their brand, so to speak. Um, so I'm not shocked in the least that they continue to double and triple down on these things, but. Um, but they're wrong. And by the way, a final point, you know, you have all these uh, left-leaning and so progressive and open-minded members of Congress that are boycotting Israeli uh, President Herzog's uh, speech tomorrow. Uh, President Herzog is very much uh, a lefty. He's a progressive. Um, he actually is not part of the Likud party or the right-wing bloc that ruled Israel. So he is a progressive um, and this is the person that they want to boycott. So again, it's a special kind of stupid, I, I guess. <laughs> well, there's always room for dissenting opinion, Brian Live. Let's go to a caller. I want to go to Luciferno calling us from Brownville, Nebraska, listening on KMA. Welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez and Brian Live. Go right ahead. Good evening, Rich. Um, yeah, the woman that made the comment about another country, um, I'm born and raised here in the USA, but, um, you know, I don't know about you know, Israel's politics. But all I do know is that to call a whole other country, I mean, was this woman born there? Was she under oppression? I don't know what her problem is. But to call another country racist, to me, a, ra a true racist is those that say everybody else is racist. That's the mm -hmm. true racist. And it's just mm -hmm. like somebody that says, you know, if they're crazy, everybody else is crazy, but they're crazy. So this is what this woman's <laughs> trying to pull. And then you know, she. All I, I just want to say, woman to woman, she just has vaginas between her ears. She doesn't have <laughs> brains. Thank you, Luciferno. I appreciate that. Haven't heard that expression before, but I'll probably use it on the radio. <laughs> Brian Leib, I won't ask you to comment on that, but but I will say I think she's right in that that those that are so critical, right? You literally saying uh, for Pramila Jayapal, uh, a member of Congress, to say that the, the entire yeah. nation of Israel is racist. I mean, it's, it's incredibly out of line. I don't think anybody in the Republican Party's turned around and said that everybody in any country is racist. No, I think I think that caller was was on to something. Um, you know, and she comes from a that caller comes from a place of, you know, not knowing much about Israel, not knowing much about about this issue that's happening with members of Congress in Israel. But it's coming from the place of, you know, if, if, if you're going to go out and go out and call a whole other country racist, then hey, maybe you should look inside your own house for a second. And I think she's right. I mean, that's, there's a lot of a lot of audacity for a member of Congress to call an entire country racist when 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 actually the truth is nowhere near uh, th those comments. You know, Brian Leib, earlier um, I had Rebecca Koffler on and I was telling people that I met her yes. in, at the bar at Trump Tower when I was there. And I didn't mention you by name, but I'll, I'll shout you out now. I was at this dinner with with Brian Leib and uh, true or false. <laughs> I looked to my right and there was a dog having a martini. Yeah, yeah. The dog having a martini at Randall time. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Folks, check out Brian Leib. He's executive director at Case Pack. Uh, follow him on Twitter. You can check out my account. He's on there. We retweeted his post. Brian Live, thanks for being with us, brother. 
Thanks, Rich. You're the best, man. Have a good night. You too, brother. We'll talk soon. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our conversation and more right now. Defense Authorization Act that 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 limits transgender rights, that rips out diversity training, and does exactly the opposite of what you said the president supports when it comes to repro- access to reproductive rights. Carol. It's very it's very difficult to see the president supporting legislation uh, that would make it harder for Americans to serve in uniform and to not be able to do so with dignity, would not be able to do so with the proper care that they need, both medical and mental care. It's very difficult to see that the president would ever, ever sign legislation uh, that would put our troops at greater risk or put our readiness at risk. That's uh, National um, Security Council spokesman John Kirby uh, talking about the ongoing battle of transgender individuals in the United States military. But meanwhile, halfway across the globe, his counterpart, Foreign Ministry spokesperson Maria Zakharova, she's now touting a theory that uh, is familiar, very familiar to being raised by Moscow, uh, oftentimes, according to Al Jazeera, with no evidence that Poland is now trying to seize parts of Ukraine. <laughs> now, uh, I, I find it laughable because I've not heard this, um, you know, but again, oftentimes Russia will throw the stone and say, oh my gosh, it's raining stones. You know, I mean, that's literally how they operate from my opinion and from my perspective. But to uh, get to the bottom of this crazy allegation here that... Um, Russia is saying that Poland wants to seize a part of Ukraine. I want to welcome in somebody that we've had on the program before. He's the consul general right here in New York City to Poland. Consul General Adrian Kubicki. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, So I want to get into this because I think it's interesting that you got the Russian foreign uh, ministry spokesperson, Maria Zakharova. And you know, from what I've heard of her in the past, she usually has very uh, bombastic things to say that are sometimes difficult to believe. Uh, but this is the latest in those um, in uh, incredulity inspiring statements that Poland is going to be invading Ukraine, if I understand it right. What say you, sir? Well, I think at the very bottom of this propaganda reason of attacking Ukraine in the first place was denazification of Ukraine. And I think if you look from that perspective to this statement, it's obviously outrageous and and bizarre. But um, I guess the reason is the same, to flip something that is very obvious and open to everyone, what is the real reason why, why Russia attacked Ukraine. Uh, and why Poland stands, obviously, along with other countries in that support for Ukraine, to flip it into something that, that is, uh, is something opposite. The only question is uh, who is capable of buying that. Uh, I don't even think that that the, the Russian, the internal audience, that the Russian audience is 
uh, still uh, capable of, of believing in any of uh, what is coming from, from the administration. But this is also an emphasis of some sort of a struggle that, that or, or a glimpse of that struggle that Russia is having internally, uh, that they have to reach uh, to even, uh, let's put it straight, the most ridiculous uh, comments and statements uh, to explain um, some of the dynamics of this, this ongoing situation, because even the the patience of, of uh, the, the Russian public opinion is reaching its limits. Um, so we listened to it. This is not the first lie that is coming out of, of the words of, of the, the representatives of the Russian administration. And it's obvious for everyone that it doesn't have any connection with, with the truth. But it is an emphasis of, uh, to, to some extent, a weakness uh, that is growing uh, of Russia and this administration that is in that deep struggle. Uh, also, that might be an attempt to distract the continue, actually the continuous uh, attempt of, of distracting us, the West, uh, the Allies, to create some sort of a cracks that uh, could potentially work in favor of Russia, um, because uh, they still believe that our support for Ukraine may soften. Uh, and this would ultimately mean that Russia is gaining uh, a progress or, or perhaps even a win in this war. So maybe this is part of that attempt, uh, but it won't be successful, obviously. Now, Mr. Consul General, the last time we spoke, you um, were weighing in on the fact that Poland was trying to negotiate the um, trade of some F, I think it was F-35s, for, or F-15s for some MiGs to help the Ukrainians. And at the time, the, the, that was squashed. And since then, now there's been a commitment to provide some of that and some tanks. I don't know if they've arrived yet. Uh, but what, um, what can you tell us with respect to, uh, from your position, uh, is, is the current state with Ukraine getting some aerial firepower? Well, from the moment we spoke, I think we achieved tremendous progress. First of all, Poland has provided Ukraine with uh, our MiG aircraft, the aircraft that at the time were the most suitable for uh, Ukrainian Air Force because they, they knew the aircraft. They, they knew operated. how to fly, right. For exactly, the same. So, so the, the time needed for maintenance and training was very limited. Um, and we are continuously advocating for F-16s, and the F-16s, are being provided to Ukraine, which is unprecedented. Uh, so I think this is this is a huge progress, along with other type of equipment, not only aerial. Um, and obviously, we are discussing further supporting Ukraine with, with what they actually need. Uh, however, I think with this counteroffensive, uh, as they call, uh, that that is uh, passing through Ukraine uh, quite successfully during this summer season, this period of time. Um, is a small focus on the grounds um, uh, to physically push back the, the Russian invaders from the Ukrainian soil. Um, uh, somehow uh, the aerial uh, capabilities and, and that defense seems to be uh, to some extent secondary. But it doesn't mean that, that we are not uh, working on further efforts to uh, support Ukraine. Uh, actually, interestingly enough, 
uh, what mm. we've achieved. So um, sending Ukraine with F-16s, providing maintenance, uh, gives Ukrainians also a first a first uh, chance to to get acquainted uh, with the Western jets, which will serve Ukraine also for the future. Because we believe that once the war is all over and Ukraine has a clear and open path uh, to join NATO. They will obviously uh, uh, work more with with the equipment. So, so this is a great opportunity also for for Ukrainian's future and for the transition that is obviously ahead of uh, Ukrainian army, uh, Ukrainian air force. All right, America. We are on with uh, Mr. Consul General from Poland, live from New York, Adrian Kubicki. Uh, we're coming right back. Your calls and more straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. bald and he's breaking it down it's america at night with rich valdez all right america welcome back our guest adrian kubicki the council general of poland uh live from new york and um headline in bloomberg poland slovakia hungary pushed to extend ukraine grain ban uh, five Eastern European Union nations to meet Wednesday to discuss extension. Moscow has pulled the plug on grain export agreement with Kiev. Uh, Mr. Consul General, tell us um, what's going on with the situation with grain. Well, obviously, Russia uh, continuously not being able to progress with the war um, and, and losing everything what is to lose actually on the international scene, given the uh, recent decisions being taken also during NATO. And together with some progress that Ukrainians are making, uh, um, uh, trying to, to use terrorism in many forms actually to, to threaten the global community. And as it happened already early in the stage of this war, uh, blocking the supply chains, um, particularly for grain, which Ukraine is obviously a huge and very important exporter. Uh, it's one of the tools that they don't hesitate uh, to use. Uh, and they announced that it will be used, which is obviously a huge threat uh, for uh, the global food market, particularly affecting uh, the, the most uh, vulnerable countries and markets will probably, if that decision will actually come into effect, um, uh, it will affect a lot of people, especially particularly from the regions uh, where, where the food supplies are already limited. So this is outrageous, but from our local perspective, uh, we are neighboring uh, Ukraine and as for other uh, issues related to, to this, this war, uh, we expect that uh, we have to come up with a solution that on one hand would help uh, to um, facilitate uh, some alternative routes for this grain to be exported 
uh, at the same time uh, providing the the optimal uh, and sufficient amount of security uh, and and including also the the security of our markets uh, um, the, 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 from any forms of also destabilization which will eventually um, uh, something that we should all avoid. So this is a challenge. Another challenge for this war uh, that is an imposition of, of obviously of, of the countries that, that are neighboring Ukraine will be directly affected. Um, but also this is something that can potentially affect European Union and can affect NATO, obviously, because there is also a security concern uh, around this issue. So we have to meet and discuss uh, the, the joint strategy, how to face it and how to, to how to fight this challenge. Uh, I think one of the strengths that we learned during this war is that when we work together and we learned really um, a great collaboration uh, throughout this, this war, uh, we always come up with the solutions that are the most efficient and the most successful in implementation. And I think this requires also that close collaboration of the countries of our region. So this is the purpose of this meeting, and uh, so we hope that we will make a step forward uh, to find a solution that will also show Russia ultimately that uh, they will not blackmail us and uh, this threat is not going to work. Now, speaking of Russia and NATO, uh, U.S. President Biden was just in Helsinki and Lithuania for the NATO gathering. And um, following that, uh, Newsweek is reporting that Putin sent Wagner to Belarus to prepare an attack on Poland. And that's according to a Russian lawmaker. Uh, again, sounds like more propaganda to me. But um, how do you respond to that? Well, first of all, we, we have to monitor all the signals and we never ignore them. But the real question is, where is the Wagner group? No one's seen since uh, this, this riot, this uh, attempted coup. No one really seen the, the Wagner group and those people, uh, including Mr. Prigozhin. Um, uh, so, so I think that there's still potentially higher threats uh, to the Russia internally uh, than to the outside. But obviously... All those movements uh, and and everything else, what is related, by the way, to the uh, Belarus and the, and the role that Belarus is playing or can potentially play in this war against Ukraine, is, is something that we have to observe, obviously, uh, as being uh, neighbors of Belarus and neighbors of Russia, but also being a, a huge part of the NATO eastern flank. Um, uh, we still believe that there is no uh, real threat for the integrity of NATO or integrity of, of Poland, uh, given the lack of resources and uh, basically lack of uh, capacity of, of Russia to attempt any attacks of NATO. And also, even uh, Putin uh, being cornered as he is right now, even he realizes that um, uh, it will be a huge mistake to attempt any form of attack on any of the NATO countries. So we don't consider that a serious threat, rather another part of the propaganda. Uh, but we obviously monitor and, and listen carefully to all the signals. Yeah, and I would agree with that. It sounds like a, a lot of a bluster and hubris coming from Member of Parliament Andrei Kartapolov. Uh, I would agree. An attack on Poland is an attack on NATO. I don't think that's a fight that Putin wants. Uh, but who knows? Maybe he is that crazy. 
Uh, I want to take a call. Somebody with a question for you, our caller, Paul, in Zanesville, Ohio, W-S-O-Y. Paul, quickly. Hey, Doug, good evening to you and your guest. <clears throat> yes, I was originally going to call about the uh, that being the breadbasket over. I think that's a lot of what this is over. But now my nephew, he's over in Poland right now, okay, with uh, mm-hmm. troops and so forth. He's been there for three months. And now Biden's wanting to send over the reservists. So I had to say, you know, change up what I was going to say. Do you think that Joe Biden uh, has the right or will put troops in Ukraine? Yeah, good question. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Mr. Consul General. First of all, thank you for his presence in Poland. I think this mission is very important. Um, and my belief, equally quick answer, is that they will remain in Poland or in any other NATO countries, but there is no. Uh, question or any consideration of direct NATO in- involvement, troops involvement in Ukraine for many reasons. Um, but obviously, NATO would have, be- would have to become a-, a part of this conflict, which is not a- any of our country's intention. Um, we will provide Ukraine with any other means and then support them in their fight. Uh, but there is no discussion of sending troops to Ukraine to fight. All right. Thank you, Mr. Consul General. Thank you, Paul. Uh, the rest of your calls and wrapping up our conversation uh, with Adrian Kabicki, the Consul General of Poland. Straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, we're on with the Council General of Poland, Adrian Kubicki. Mr. Council General, I'm looking at a headline, and we have a very limited time, but I want the, the most concise answer you could give on the legal complaints uh, that were filed against the authoritarian European Union climate policies. Oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm giving two minutes for, for such a complex issue. <laughs> uh, well, I think the, the problem is that any imposition that is put on countries that have an equal voice in European Union has to be uh, met uh, with the criticism and the voices against it. Uh, Poland believes in the Europe of nations, equal nations um, that have a equal right to raise up their voice uh, about their situation, particular situation, in face of many of the challenges and decisions that are being taken. We have a feeling that some of the countries can push forward the agenda uh, that only includes their perspective. Uh, without giving the opportunity to speak uh, out loud uh, to the other countries. And we simply say no. Uh, but the, given the balance and the situation that we're having uh, right now, we have a pretty good chance uh, to uh, actually uh, win this. One of the many principles uh, that, that, that in the European Union is being questioned right now, and one of these principles is that there is this equality and each of the member has equal voice to, 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 to raise uh, in favor or against any of the ideas of, uh, that are being um, uh, raised uh, on this forum. 
the climate changes, as much as they have to be addressed, they also have to consider the ideas to 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 to, to solve the problems uh, regarding that subject. Have to uh, include uh, the, the specifics of of the, each of the countries of the European Union, and as right. simple as that. And it, the, it sounds answer. like, yeah, and it's a very good answer, and, and I think that it ultimately comes down to a matter of sovereignty, right? You just you can't impose. Th those types of measures on everybody because there's Absolutely. so much nuance Absolutely. in the yes. union. Ladies and gentlemen, Adrian Kubicki, Council General of Poland. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your analysis. Thank you Hope very to much. speak with you soon. All right. Folks, Thanks. more to come straight ahead. Open Phone America is coming up, and we're going to talk about 16 Republicans that were just charged by the Attorney General. Oh, boy, it doesn't end. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. Happy to be here with you Tuesday night. And uh, let's uh, give you the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, I welcome you to do that. There's a lot to discuss. We've had some really interesting discussion tonight on Poland's take on what's going on with NATO and Ukraine. Uh, with respect to Russia and their war, uh, we discussed what's going on with the anti-Semitism uh, coming out of the members of the squad and Representative Pramila Jayapal. And we've also uh, had a discussion on how they labeled uh, members of Congress that are looking into malfeasance by the Biden family uh, as Russian agents, saying, nope, you're a Russian agent if you say anything bad about Joe El Baboso Biden. So I want to um, talk about this big headline today. I wanted to get to it in the first hour, but I did not. But the attorney general of Michigan has charged 16 false electors, according uh, to uh, their charge. Uh, of course, these charges come after Trump uh, has announced that he's the target of a federal probe uh, into January 6th and the 2020 election. And I mean, you name it, they're coming after him for absolutely everything. Now, President Trump, former President Trump, was in a town hall this evening in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, with uh, the Fox News Channel. And he talked about how the government is being weaponized against him and his campaign. Listen to this. I got the letter on Sunday night. Think of it. I don't think they've ever sent a letter on Sunday night. And they're in a rush because they want to interfere. It's interference with the election. It's election interference. Never been done like this in the history of our country. And it's a disgrace. What's happening to our country, whether it's the borders or the elections or kinds of things like this, where the DOJ has become a weapon for the Democrats, an absolute weapon. 
And it seems that every time my polls, you know, we're leading by a lot. And we're leading by a lot in a place called Iowa. A lot. Not only with the Republicans, but we're leading against Biden by a tremendous amount. They haven't seen anything like it. And they feel, I guess, they want to try and demean and diminish and and uh, frighten people. But they don't frighten us because uh, we're going to make America great again. That's all there is. We're going to make our, our country. We're going to make America great again. That's uh, President Trump tonight, just a few hours ago uh, on the Fox News channel at a town hall in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And of course, it's not just the Department of Justice that's been weaponized against their political uh, opponents, but now the Michigan Attorney General's office has filed felony charges against 16 Republicans, including the head of the party's state chapter with uh, the charge of acting as false electors for then President Donald Trump in the 2020 elected election. Uh, now, the uh, Attorney General, uh, Democrat Dana Nessel. Again, this is a a very questionable person who's said some very questionable things over the years. Um, She said earlier today that all 16 people would face eight criminal charges, including forgery and conspiracy to commit election forgery, which range from a potential of five to 14 years in prison each. The group includes the head of the Republican National Committee chapter in Michigan, Kathy Burden as well as the former co-chair of the Michigan Republican Party, uh, Michonne Maddock, and Shelby Township Clerk, Stan Grott. The false electors' actions undermine the public's faith in the integrity of our elections, she charged. And she went on to say, we believe also plainly violated the laws by which we administer our elections in Michigan, according to Attorney General Nessel in, uh, in a statement. So uh, I, th- I think this is bogus, and they're really going to have to prove, um, again, let's see, their, their charge is forgery. Again, I'm not familiar with the statute on forgery in Michigan, but I can tell you that if you've got electors that were named by the, the political process, which, um, again, is controlled by the legislature in Michigan. And there's a discrepancy or a disagreement in who those electors are going to be to cast their electoral votes. And again, I know the electors in New Jersey are, it's an internal voting process by the party that, you know, basically you get appointed to to run for this stuff. So I I can't see how they're going to make a case for forgery at all. But most people don't know how this stuff works. So, again, you put out a case where it says forgery. I could tell you a little while ago I I was somewhere where they were playing NPR in the background. And it sounded like, you know, that, you know, like Al Capone's vault when Geraldo cracked that uh, bad boy open. Right. It was like, oh, this is the biggest thing ever. And this is not the biggest thing ever. This threat of five to 14 years. You're going to tell me you're going to take somebody who volunteers as the head of the Republican Party in Michigan and say they're going to put them in jail on forgery charges because they disagreed with an election and agreed to to cast their electoral vote for the person they wanted to vote for, in this case, because they were going to vote for Donald Trump. They didn't get to vote. So where's the forgery? Where's this fake check that they signed, right? Uh, signing off on paperwork, saying that they're electors. I, I don't see how that, that's going to stick, honestly. Um, 
I really just don't. I mean, that's like somebody saying, we're going to put you in jail for, 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 for exactly that, for, for faking something that's part of the democratic process in our country. I mean, if anything, you could, you could take exception with the law, with the rules, uh, with the process for determining who electors are and how electors exercise and cast their vote. But to say that these guys are fake electors and it's fraud, to me, this sounds contrived. Uh, I'm sure there's not even a statute for falsifying electors, right? The, the, their forgery statute is likely for financial instruments and other things. Uh, and again, I'm no attorney and I'll bring one in if I have to. But uh, this to me sounds totally fake, phony and fraud. It sounds contrived to say the least. This is the weaponization of the government against Trump and his campaign, in my opinion. And I want to get to your calls on this, and we're going to do that straight ahead. I see we've got calls from South Carolina, uh, from Andalusia, Alabama, from Brooklyn, New York, and, of course, from Egg Harbor, New Jersey. So don't go anywhere. We're coming back to your calls and more straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. standing relationship with Israel. Uh, it is, he is committed uh, to their security, uh, committed to um, continuing that relationship, hence why he is meeting uh, with the president of Israel. And so that is what's important. I cannot speak to uh, other, uh, other congressional members uh, in the House. That is for them to speak to why uh, they choose to uh, boycott or to do whatever it is uh, that they're doing today. Uh, but what we can speak to is our commitment, our longstanding commitment to Israel, uh, our longstanding support to Israel. And uh, that is something that the president will continue to be committed to. All right. So they say Karine Jean-Pierre says that, uh, look, look, we're not going to say Cory Bush is an anti-Semite. We're going to say, I don't know, but I will say that we love Israel, but they can say they hate Israel. And, you know, we kind of love them anyway. It, it, this is such a uh, things I can't say in English or Spanish on the radio here because man, th this is, it goes on and on and on. It's it's so normalized to hate the Jews. It's beyond me. Uh, it's so normalized to hate Trump as well. I mean, it's just amazing how people can choose people they don't like and just normalize the hatred of that person or that group. And it really is beyond me. Um, doesn't cease to amaze me. I want to get to your calls. A lot of people want to weigh in on this stuff. Let's go to Denise Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, W-O-N-D. Patiently waiting. Denise, go right ahead. 
Uh, yeah, I just want to know, um, first of all, the two people um, who made statements, uh, Ilhan Omar and the Pramila uh, Jayapal, mm. they both became citizens in 2000. I looked them up. I became a citizen in 1950 when I was born in Fort Lee, New Jersey. So I just want to know, in what stroke of idiocy did this country allow naturalized citizens to hold such high office? Yeah, you know, uh, this is part of the beauty of the United States and and part of what I always um, uphold on this very program right here. And I say, look, people who disagree with me, they move to the front of the caller list because while I may not like what they say, I will always, kind of like Voltaire said, I will always uh, support their right to disagree and say stupid things because that's what our country is all about. And and I think we have to do that so that I can have my platform and say what I believe in. And they can say, look, that guy Valdez, he's an idiot. But, you know, he gets to talk. And I think I agree with you. It's wrong. And I remember President Trump famously told him, if you don't like it, leave. <laughs> and they were so offended. Oh, he's a racist. He's a xenophobe. And I said, look, he's saying what everybody's thinking. If you don't like it, then leave. And I agree with you. You know, it's amazing how these people left their own countries that they, that, you know, and of course I think he famously said that one country was an S-hole country and that became a big deal. But the reality is there are S-hole countries out there and people leave those countries to come to this country because this country is better and it's a better place. But yet while they're here and they ascend to some of the highest offices in the land, All they can do straight along the way is make fun of other people, make fun of other cultures and countries and complain, complain and critique and critique. And it's so lamentable when you look at it. It really is to me. But it is the essence of what America is all about, is that freedom of speech, freedom to be yourself, freedom to go against your government, because this is about we the people, not about they the government. And I'll always be grateful Uh, to our government for that. And I'm thankful for you for your comment because I think it was a really good point. Thanks, Denise. Big shout out to everybody listening on WOND. And, you know, Fort Lee, New Jersey, not far from where I live, uh, my home in Bergen County. So a big shout out to my neighbor, Denise Beasina, we say in Spanish. Thank you, Denise. I appreciate it. Uh, Let us continue. Uh, Let's go to Jerome calling from Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Jerome, how's the weather? As hot as hey, it's as, it's as hot as the as that sea Trump sitting on right now with all those indictments. That's <laughs> There's one like. more coming. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Will that be from Georgia? Georgia, Georgia. Yes, sir. That's right. Oh, that'll be the one where he made the phone call. Said, "Hey, hey, could you give me like about eleven thousand votes?" Wink, wink, wink. Okay. Well, he did. He said, find the votes, just find the votes. But yeah, I listen, I don't think anything's going to happen with any of these. Um, uh, This is, again, just more, more, more of something we've never seen. Right. We've never really seen the Department of Justice investigate political candidates and slow them down the way they're doing to Trump. Now, earlier today, I had the conversation with the guy who makes my coffee, Cuban guy, great guy, uh, huge Trump hater, but I I love him anyway. And the guy says, you know, oh, what about James Comey interfering in Hillary Clinton's election? Because but for James Comey reading his little memo, Hillary would have won that election hands down. And my response to him was, well, James Comey's not the Department of Justice. He was the FBI. And again, the way the legal system works, cops, a police chief can't charge you, right? 
uh, they, they, they make a complaint saying we believe they make an allegation that we believe you broke this law. Then a prosecutor will make a charge and say, okay, the state believes you broke this law and we're charging you with et cetera, et cetera, in a court of law. And, and that's how that system works. Well, James Comey, as a police chief, right, of the federal police force, the FBI, he m took it upon himself to go ahead and read what he believed Hillary Clinton had done. And he was kind of like judge and jury there saying, look, we don't think this rises to the degree of a crime, but it was definitely reckless and negligent. And it, it was fascinating because he never allowed the rest of the legal system, then uh, Attorney General Loretta Lynch, to even weigh in on this. Right. It never even got to her. And I found it odd because Obviously, no police chief goes and says, well, I think so-and-so committed a crime, uh, but we're not going to tell the prosecutor. We're not going to even press charges. I'm just going to say I think it was it was a crime, but, you know, no reasonable prosecutor would do this. And, you know, they kind of made an excuse to make a public spectacle without ever pressing a charge. And to me, it was a, it was a, trying to do her a favor, kind of like King Solomon splitting the baby. And it, uh, again, still unprecedented what they're doing to Trump. And if they had any sense of um, scruples, right, to just be scrupulous, to be fair, they would say, you know what, we're going to charge Trump either with four felonies uh, or four you know, indictments with multiple counts before he announces for president or after the election. But we're not going to do it in the middle of his campaign when he's going through a primary, right, especially when the other guy doesn't even really have much of a primary. I think it's totally unfair and it's it flies in the face of the tradition that the Department of Justice itself has established in saying we will not investigate people during a presidential campaign because that could look like political interference. Jerome. Hey, like like LeBron James said, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven. And when I say it, I really believe it. Hey. Like the old song goes, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Or I fought the law and the law won. And he once said, hey, Russia, if you can find Hillary Clinton's 30,000 emails, could you let me know about it? When was the last time you heard a Democrat beg a foreign country to help them win an election? When? I don't know. I don't pay too much attention to Democrats. Thank God. You're you're my only uh, Democrat that I listen to. But Jerome, ultimately, uh, Trump isn't fighting the law. He's fighting uh, for for his innocence. And I don't think the law is going to win, quite frankly. I think a lot of these cases aren't going to amount to anything. And ultimately, they're designed to slow him down. But I don't think they're going to stop him. Uh, we'll see who's right or wrong. I want to make sure you keep calling in through November to make sure we uh, we keep ourselves honest here. Jerome, thanks for your call. I appreciate it. More to come straight ahead. We're going to get to the rest of the calls. We got calls from Oregon now, Illinois, Alabama, New York, and more coming in as we speak. The numbers 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. And by the way, um, everybody who's downloading and listening to my podcast, my weekly podcast, This Is America, which Rich Valdez, that is a separate podcast from the America at Night podcast, which is the replay of this program. Uh, I want to thank you because you guys are helping us um, stay in the top 100, top 200 of uh, the chart that we appear in, the news commentary chart. But apart from that, I want to remind you to also listen and download and subscribe the podcast of this program. If there's something on the show that you like and you go, man, I wish one of my friends would have listened to this, make sure you let them know. 
they can go to Rich Valdez, AmericaAtNight.com, download the show, replay the show, subscribe to the podcast, whatever you like. You can even get alerts so you never miss any of your favorite interviews. Our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's still me, Rich Valdez. If you were looking for somebody with a lot of hair, te chavaste. You're not getting it. But anyway, I want to continue with your calls on these topics. And actually, I wanted to play a very quick uh, clip of audio here because uh, interesting here. Steny Hoyer, right? He's uh, one of the head monkey mucks in the Democrat Party uh, on uh, on on the House of Representatives side. He tells reporters today while he's on Capitol Hill that so much of what Trump has done is illegal. Listen to this. Former President Trump has done uh, repeatedly things that call uh, upon law enforcement at every level to look at what he's done uh, because so much of it is uh, certainly questionable at best and illegal at worst. This is exactly what they want to do. They want to tarnish Trump with that statement. They want in the head and in the mind of every American that can see and hear and observe and digest media to think, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's no way this guy's getting indictment after indictment after indictment. And half the people that work for him are, in, and it's not even half. I mean, there's probably a thousand people that work for him and like 30 of them uh, got in trouble or, or, you know, half of that number. And, and, and another half of that number that, that ha- came out against him as disgruntled employees. But that's what they want. They want to discredit Trump by saying, look, whether he did it or not, the guy, you know, just because he's Teflon Don doesn't mean he didn't do it. And, and I, I just think it's, it's so wrong to constantly falsely accuse people and, and try to frame things a certain way. And they're so effective. I mean, again, like uh, Jerome was just alluding to saying that, you know, he was saying, yeah, you better find me 11,000 votes. And, you know, th- that's an interesting conversation that Trump had, but it wasn't illegal in the least. And again, was it taken out of context by most of the media that reported it? Absolutely. Uh, should people do their own due diligence and listen to the entirety of that conversation to get the full gist of it? I think they should. They would understand it a lot better. But again, the media just uses this stuff to their advantage. They're very effective at it. And, you know, all I can say is just look at or try and remember that snapshot, that screenshot of what your 401k looked like when El Trumpito Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, when he was in office, right? Along with uh, prices at the pump, prices at the bodega, prices anywhere else. Everything was better across the board. Annual household income was something like uh, $6,500 higher than uh, the median income before that. Things were better for everybody, starting with minorities and ending with everybody else. So, I don't know. Just try that out for size. 
let us uh, let us continue. I want to go to Alex in Brooklyn on WFAS. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich, thanks so much for taking the call. And the cut you just played is an example of how the Democrats roll. They don't like getting into details. He's like, Trump does so many wrong things, even this this fake electors thing. So there was very, very little coverage of it when you look at the fake news media, I think, obviously, because this is a crappy thing. And I've heard them cover this on CNN and other networks a couple of times, but I was always waiting for them to explain what it means because it sounds outrageous. Fake electors, they were like forging stuff. And I, I, I still am not fully clear about what it is, but if it was such a serious crime, they'd, be, they'd clearly explain what it is, but they're not because then it, people would see, hey, what are you talking about? This is all a bunch of crap. This is not people doing things wrong. Now, I don't know exactly what it is, uh, maybe they did do things wrong, but uh, if that would be the case, I think they they would you know specify what 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 it means sure. fake electors. But I mean, about the just Trump to ch- chime in, Alex. Uh, yep. To me, this seems like they're using the same strategy that Alvin Bragg used. Right? His his whole strategy was saying, okay, so hold on a second. So your attorney of his own volition decides to pay Stormy Daniels 130 k because she's trying to extort you. And again, I'm using this not in defense of Trump. This is her admission in a deposition saying that she had not had sex with Trump, but was trying to get a settlement out of him. And she got 130 K from Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen goes ahead and says, all right, well, Trump, you know, I I paid this 130 K to shut this girl up. We've made this settlement. Now that's not a problem anymore. And that is a legal expense. And that's how it was used on, on, on the books. However, Braggs insists that this was not a legal expense, that this was a political expenditure because Trump made that expense with the expectation of running for political office. And therefore, he was uh, concealing the legal expense, a payment to his lawyer or a reimbursement to his lawyer as as a um, that he should have classified as a political expense. This is an incredible stretch. And to prove it, they have to prove that he intended to defraud somebody uh, because, again, it was on the books. It's going to be difficult to prove that he intended to defraud anybody if he put it on the books to begin with. So whether you, you, you have it there as as a legal expense or as a political expense, it's still listed as an expense. Right. So there, there really was no harm done, no foul. But this was what they used to say that this was a campaign finance violation and using a federal statute to prosecute a local crime. The thing was in in a stretch at every level. When now that they're saying that these electors are forging documents when they are the actual chair of the Republican Party and other, um, you know, party officials, you've got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me saying that this is forgery. It's it's insane. And, and the fact that it's even happening should scare everybody, Alex. Yep. And think about this, right? If, if they had one indictment against Trump, which was enough to say he's a criminal, they wouldn't be throwing all this other insignificant things like the classified documents, which they let every other president, vice president, secretary of state take with them. And they don't even follow up and ask them to give it back. But if, but what they're trying to do here is it's also what they did with Russian collusion. So what they're going to say is and they're January not going to get 6th. into the details of the hush money scandal. Yep, they're not going to get into the hush money scandal thing. They're going to say he got indicted for this, he got indicted for that. 
and they're going to list a couple of things and they're going to say he's just a big criminal because obviously getting down for all these for so many times it means that you did something wrong that you're a bad guy they're not going to get into the details of what it is russian collusion they, they you ask a democrat how do you know that trump colluded they'll say well he, donald jr met that guy that guy met that guy and that guy they never get down to the details of what did the russians give over to trump i you know i had this once with a democrat i'm like could you tell me what information give over to Don Jr. that then was used in the election uh, by Don Jr. So he says, well, they gave him information. So I said, why didn't that information, the negative information about Clinton come out during the election? It didn't come out because that never existed, obviously. And about this Trump indictment now with January 6th, number one, President Trump did not have to expect that violence was going to break out on January 6th, as even some Republicans are like, well, he should have expected it. It was a heated up moment. Before January 6th, you had a nice couple of Trump protests tests against election fraud, where the only violence that you had there was not from Trump supporters, it was, it was from a few Antifa members. The media didn't want to cover that, but they attacked innocent Trump supporters. So Trump didn't have to expect violence. The words he used was peacefully and patriotically marched to the Capitol. But if you but looked at the way they presented it in the January 6th committee hearings, they omitted any video where he said peacefully and patriotically marched to the Capitol to let your voice be heard. And they were they were um, expert in uh, they hired a former vice president of production from ABC News, a news producer to help them produce their hearing. So, I mean, clearly it was political theater and they tried to make it look like this was Trump's plan to bring every last crazy, radical, MAGA extremist Trump supporter demon is the way they look at us uh, from uh, from every part of America to bring him to Washington, to wage war on the Capitol, to hang Mike Pence, to get Nancy Pelosi. I mean, it's absolutely insane to suggest that this is Trump um, waging war on America and and being charged with seditious conspiracy. But this is the route they're going to take. And there are a lot of people, rabid Republican haters, rabid haters of America and rabid haters of Trump that like to believe this stuff and are going to take the ball and run with it. The question is, how many people will buy the lies? My thinking is, hopefully not enough. I hope I'm wrong. Alex, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody on WFAS, which I've nicknamed, consequently. We are free American speech, and that's uh, my flagship station in New York. Anyway, don't go anywhere. We're going to get to the rest of your calls right now. Uh, Oregon, Alabama, Illinois, and more coming in as we speak. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. are up. Congratulations. I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right. Thank you for that. And let's continue. 
I want to. Here we go. We, we left off. We were going to. Where are we? We were going right here to Andalusia, Alabama, to check in with our buddy John, listening online. John, go right ahead. Uh, hi, Rich. How are you tonight? Great show. Thank you. Um, I want. I wanted to say first of all uh, about the the two points I wanted to make. First of all, one, I hope BB Netanyahu brings this up. Uh, to President Trump when they meet about the comments that were made, uh, the anti-Semitic comments that were made. Secondly, um, nobody, uh, Joe Biden's being silent on this, but also Chuck Schumer, who is a practicing Jew, is being silenced on this. I know Mitch McConnell is as well, which is very, very worrisome. But, you know, uh, Chuck Schumer is is a practicing Jew in the Senate. Um, and he has said nothing about these 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 comments. Um, and the last thing I do want to say, nobody says anything about the three thousand electorates, or maybe they were fake electorates in Ohio that Jamie Raskin was involved in challenging when Hillary Clinton won, uh, and uh, what well, not when she won, thank God, but when when uh, she ran against Trump in twenty sixteen. So those are the comments I wanted to make. Thank you, Rich, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you. I I really appreciate it, John. Uh, And a big shout-out to everybody in Andalusia, Alabama, on WBCF. Now, listen, uh, John, you bring up a really good point, and and I'll say this. I don't know Schumer's position on this or not. I do know that 40 40 Democrats uh, came against these um, comments and it's the first time I've seen Democrats really, um, you, you know, kind of say, listen, squad people, stop with your anti-Semitism. And, and I think that's a, a great step in the right direction because uh, for, I feel it's it's gone way too far. Like it should never have happened to begin with. But there's I, I've said it before and I, I can't phrase it any other way than there's been a normalization uh, that it's somehow okay to ridicule and hate the Jews. And uh, that's just not cool. Uh, it's not, it's, we shouldn't do that. I don't dislike the Russians. I don't, I don't like Putin, right? But I, I can't say that I feel like that about any people group. So I think uh, it, it's it's fair and responsible for us to, uh, to call out anti-Semitism every time we're faced with it. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Let's continue. Uh, let's go from Alabama. We go to Clinton, Illinois. Let's go to WSOY. Andrew's listening on WSOY. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, again, Mr. Valdez. I called a couple of weeks ago um, and talked to you about uh, my cooks in the kitchen explaining to me what El Baboso meant. And uh, <laughs> I just wanted to offer an, another anecdote from my experiences uh, in the restaurant sure. industry as, as a manager. Um, the 2016 election, about a month or a couple months leading up to that glorious night, um, uh, everybody in, in the kitchen was, you know, kind of taking jabs at me and, you know, talking smack about me being a conservative and whatnot. I just kind of kept my mouth shut. And then the day after the election, uh, I went into work and, uh, I, the, the chef of the restaurant pulled me aside before I went into the kitchen and he, he looked at me and he said, uh, hey, uh, I talked to the rest of the team and we all pretty much agreed that, you know, we're not going to talk about the election results. 
And I said, okay, yes, chef, I understand. And, but you know, it, it just bothered me because I wanted to go in there and just brag heavily, but <laughs> it just, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that, uh, leftists will police your speech, talk about the, Yeah. They'll, they'll talk about anything that they want to talk about, even if it's clearly against pretty much ethical or moral codes, for example, you know, introducing inappropriate material to children in, in, in Public the libraries. Yeah. Anytime they lose, they don't want to talk about it. They, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. And, um, I think a big problem for conservatives is we don't go out and be aggressive enough, um, for our morals, for our rights, and, well, and for you know, what we believe in. Andrew, I think you're right. And I don't know that that's a problem that we'll ever fix because I think a lot of people who are naturally conservative, and that's why they are conservative. They're, they're not very liberal in their opinions. They're not very outspoken. They're very traditional. They like to just mind their business and they want people to leave them alone. And, and by, by virtue of conservatism, they, they're just not there. They're like, look, I don't care what you believe. Just leave me alone. Let me believe what I want to believe. Meanwhile, it's the, the liberal, and I should say more, more, uh, more aptly put, the radical progressive on the left that is like, no, 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 I care what you believe. I care what you say. I'm going to police what you say. You'd better agree with me because I know better than you what you need. And, and that's always going to be a staple of the other side. And lamentably, that'll never be a staple on the conservative side because conservatives really don't believe they know better than anybody else. Most of the time, we take a libertarian approach to things and say, look, uh, I, I want to give you the information I've got, but it's up to you what you do with it. I don't care what you do. And, and, and it's because of that that we'll never be like them. And people say, you know, the Democrats get it right because they're always so together. That's what collectivists do. Collectivism is the bond that, that fuels communism. And that'll never work uh, from uh, on, the, on the right of center. It just won't. So uh, ultimately, I mean, what makes us so different, uh, it's, a it's a double-edged sword, you know, lamentably. Anyway, Andrew, I got to hit this break real quick. Thanks for the call from Clinton, Illinois. If you see Joe El Baboso Biden, tell him I said what's up. Big shout out to everybody on WSOY. We're coming right back to your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez, I'm coming back here for a moment or three, and we're going to wrap up with a couple of your calls and a great show tonight. Not because I did it, because you guys contributed so much to the conversation. I really enjoyed it. I love speaking with Americans from all over the place. I always wonder, who else gets to do this? Not a whole lot of people get to speak with everybody in the middle of the night from all over the country and get all these different opinions. So I think that's awesome. Big shout out to all of you listening. Thank you so much. And let us um, let us go here to... Ken Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Go right ahead. How are we doing tonight, Rich? Great show as always. Thank you, uh, sir. Before before I get to what I told your call screener, I want everybody in this audience that loves their children in this country to please look up the book. I'm going to the title. It's called, it's 
perfectly natural, and it's in your elementary schools in this country, and it's for children 10 to 15. And I won't say anything more about it. Just look Is it, it one up. of those funny books we should be concerned about? Very, very, very much so. Uh, well, we're going to have to take a look at it. We're out of time, Ken. Sorry. Big shout out to Michael in Pendleton, Oregon. Thank you, Ken, for your call. Michael is on KUMA, and uh, we won't get to you tonight because the music's kicking me out. But I promise I'll get to you tomorrow if you're able to call in. Thanks for the support. I appreciate it, folks. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. We're going to do it again tomorrow. Until then, keep it locked right here on this station. Peace. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.